The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You chose to take a journey down a long and dangerous trail Chose to serve your country and we know you served us well But now you're back and it's our duty to keep you safe and warm Shake your hand and welcome you back home with open arms We're America, your family, the land of liberty We're thankful for your sacrifice, your fight to keep us free We are America we truly do believe You're the backbone of our nation Thanks to you we're living free We're a quilt of many colors And we breathe red, white, and blue We're America, your country And America wants you It has been said that we are but one generation away from forgetting our history. Welcome to American Heroes Network, where we serve our American tradition with Gary Ray, along with his co-host, Linda Crater. In our program, you will hear firsthand the personal accounts of heroes whose unselfish actions have contributed to the traditions and values that represent the soul of America. You'll also hear from our partners and affiliations presenting news events and ways that our veterans and their families can rebuild their lives. Now, here is Gary Ray with his co-host, Linda Crater. Well, good morning and welcome to the American Heroes Network. Today is February 25th, 2014. I'm your host, Gary Ray, along with my co-host, Linda Crater. Good morning, Linda. How are you? I am just fine, Gary. Thank you very much. I imagine you're not getting snowflakes this morning. And now it's, in fact, it's already in the 70s. It's it's rough. (laughs) (laughs) It's really rough. (laughs) I'm glad. Glad somebody's in the toasty place. That's right. We also have Lieutenant Colonel Bill Forbes, U.S. Army retired, former Deputy Secretary for the Veterans Administration, Maryland. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Gary, and good morning to everyone. Good morning, Bill. All right. Now, we have actually a Central Florida event coming up that I want to mention. It's not till the end of March, which is the 29th. The VFW Post 3283 Port Orange, Florida in Volusia County is having a Welcome Home Vietnam Veterans Day, honoring all Vietnam veterans for their service and sacrifices for their country. They do need volunteers to help out. So if you'd like to volunteer, give them a call. Their number is 386 846 0114. That's 386 846 0114. It starts at 10 a.m. on the 29th, and they're actually going to have a Vietnam veterans flyover at 11:45 a.m. on the 29th. We're getting closer to a date. As we go along, I'm going to go ahead and mention it on the on the shows as we have their show, the next four or five shows. Okay. Um, did anybody attend that 500, the Daytona 500? We would have stopped by and said hello, Gary. Oh, that's good. I, I wanted to hear that. <laughs> if you would have made it in the traffic, I-4 was jammed up again like normal. Well, Dale Earnhardt won it and took his second career win for the Daytona last Sunday. And did you hear who actually 
put down that green star flag? Anybody yes, know? Mm-hmm. Gary Sinise. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, he was. Well, let's get to our guest. Linda, you have the honor of introducing our guest today. I am so delighted to welcome Kayla Williams back to our show. Kayla was on earlier in the uh, last part of 2013. She is a, it's hard to describe her in, in one or two sentences, but I will try and do so. She's a former sergeant and Arab linguist, deployed to Iraq in 2003, and we talked about her first book in our interview the last time, plus a lot of the women changing roles within our military. Her first book was called Love My Rifle More Than You. And when she returned to the United States, she ended up meeting someone in theater and eventually marrying him. And her second book, called Plenty of Time When We Get Home, is now out. And it is an incredible journey that I think will resonate with all of our listeners. There are a series of roles that she and many, many of our armed forces who return to the country go through, and it's told in such a way that it is eminently readable, it's compelling, it's moving, and I am further awed by the talent that we have on our show today. Kayla, welcome to the American Heroes Network again. Well, thanks for having me back, and thank you, Linda, for that very kind introduction. Well, it's more than kind, it's absolutely true. (laughs) I finished your book this morning, and Gary asked me... um, you know, what did you like about it the most? And to me, what came out through this book was the series of challenges that were met, some gracefully, some less gracefully, but all of them with determination and grit, of which I think our armed forces possess more than most. And I would love it if you would tell the beginning of the story so that our, our viewers can begin to, our listeners, excuse me, can follow us from when you were in theater and started the, the coming back process, which was very much a, a, a roller coaster ride in terms of how you eventually came to meet Brian. And if you could tell that story, that would be really a good start, I think. Absolutely. So I enlisted in the Army back in 2000, and though I had read the fine print and understood that armies go to war, back then it did not seem like a very big possibility that I personally would be going to war. I was learning Arabic at the Defense Language Institute on 9-11, and it was immediately apparent that I was going to war. It was not a question of whether or not, just when and where. I was assigned to the 101st Airborne Division Air Assault and took part of the initial invasion of Iraq in March of 2003, spending about a year in the Middle East. This was in the era of you go to war with the army you have. And as a woman, I was technically barred from direct ground combat units or jobs. So I wasn't given plates for my flak vest. But there was also a shortage of Arabic linguists, so I ended up going out on combat foot patrols with the infantry in Baghdad. The unit then moved farther north to Mosul and then beyond to Talafar in Nineveh province. And I spent several months on the side of Sinjar Mountain near the Syrian border, first with about uh, seven or eight men, and then on the other side of the mountain, maybe 20 or 30 men, and I was the only woman at both of those sites. Very remote, very austere uh, my platoon sergeant told me that at that point I was the most forward deployed f- 
female soldier with conventional U.S. forces. Mm. We didn't have porta johns in those early uh, early months, and much less generators, access to the internet, video games, TV, anything. We had nothing to do but talk to keep one another entertained. I mean, the guys tried to play baseball with rocks and sticks, but that did not work very well. So we just spent a lot of time (laughs) talking. Uh, One of the other soldiers would come uh, to bring his guys resupply or spell one of them while they went on mid-tour leave. And he was tall and handsome, funny, smart, sarcastic, self-confident, charismatic. I thought he was a really, really interesting guy, but it was Iraq. It was a combat zone. We couldn't go clubbing. We couldn't go out to dinner. It was not a romantic (laughs) environment. Um, But one day I did confess to him, I really want to get to know you better. And he said, don't worry, there's plenty of time for that when we get home. Now, if I were a novelist, that would have been uh, foreshadowing uh, as... as (laughs) As as it was, that ended up just feeling terribly ironic uh, because a couple of months later, a convoy that he was on on his way back from mid-tour leave was hit in one of the first of uh, really coordinated attacks in our area of operations in what came to be known later as the insurgency. The convoy was hit by small arms fire, RPG fire, as well as hit by an IED, improvised explosive device or roadside bomb. Shrapnel went through his skull below the Kevlar on the right side of his head towards the back, traveled forward and exited near his right eye. Uh, He initially was doing really, really surprisingly well. He was walking and talking, um, and they initially weren't sure whether or not they were going to medically evacuate him because in a triage situation, the walking wounded are are lower priority. But uh, he was luckily medically evacuated down to Baghdad where he was rushed into emergency neurosurgery and found to have life-threatening injuries in addition to very serious brain damage. Um, After the immediate neurosurgery, once he was stabilized, he was evacuated back to launch stool regional med- uh, launch tool in Germany and from there back to Walter Reed Army Medical Center in the DC area where he began his recovery. The neurosurgeon thought that he would never be functionally independent and might never even walk again if he did walk that he would need a walker. His early recovery was really remarkable, perhaps miraculous, mm-hmm. and he did much better than expected. He was walking and talking in, in short order. And once he reached a point that he could, again, this is very early in the war. This was October 2003. And once he reached a point that he could, as the doctors told him, walk and talk and wipe his own butt, he was released from Walter Reed and sent back to Fort Campbell. And that was just a couple weeks before the rest of us came back from the Middle East. And once I got back, uh, we reconnected and things went from there. There were a couple of tidbits you left out that I I feel are worth mentioning. One is that you're right, it's a miraculous recovery. The other was that there was only one neurosurgeon in Oliver Rock, and he was there when Brian came in. Yes, very luckily. Um, There there had been two American uh, neurosurgeons in Iraq. One was out of the country doing some required continuing education. And so if, if anything had happened to the remaining one, um, pretty Brian would would likely have died, um, and by also just sheer coincidence, that neurosurgeon w- ended up being the same neurosurgeon that Bob Woodruff had down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Kayla, how did Brian's injuries change his behavior? That should probably wait until after the break. That's going to be a longer discussion. Oh, it is? No, okay, no problem. No problem. We're getting close to it. <laughs> okay. Well, the, the other parts are that during this time, you all began to see one another again, and there, it was a, a slow process because weren't you in two different places for a while? Well, at the he emailed me from Walter Reed when I was still in Iraq, and we began kind of a, a flirtation by, by email. And then when we got, I got back to Fort Campbell, he was there, and we began spending just a lot of time together. We, I got block leave, and we spent a month together almost all the time and that laid the foundation for our relationship that that sustained us when things started to become much more challenging later. Well and a lot of that and we can talk more about this after the break a lot of that came about because of um, the brain injury and in those days there wasn't a lot of treatment for cognitive therapies, vision therapies, balance, all of those sorts of things that are now done, especially with a penetrating TBI. Right. If he had been injured a few years later, he would have likely been sent to a VA polytrauma center and had a team of providers working in close concert to make sure that all of his different injuries were being adequately addressed. But back then, that just wasn't the case. And he was sent back to Fort Campbell, where he really flailed around without adequate care or support. All right. Well, we're going to take that quick break. I'm Gary Ray, along with uh, Linda and Bill and our guest, Kayla. We're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America and the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. For those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier or smarter. As the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo at americanheroesnetwork.com. By providing a unique blend of information and advocacy, we are helping our American heroes and their families to heal, successfully transition into civilian life, and to thrive in their communities. This generation will not be forgotten. Today's military are our sons and daughters. Listen live to the American Heroes Network, the worldwide voice for our military families and veterans, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. All shows are archived on American Heroes network.com and syndicated on iTunes. The American Heroes Network team depends entirely on voluntary financial support, advertisers, and sponsorships to keep the voice of our veterans alive and bring awareness, education, excitement, and most importantly, hope to the gray reality that exists for the hundreds of thousands of troops that are home and coming home. You can now become part of the elite team and help support our veterans. Your support is needed more than ever before. Become part of the Silent Heroes support team today. The Silent Heroes support team levels start as low as $26 per year. That's only 50 cents a week. Go right now to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and join today. That's AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. Thank you for your support. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you are tuned into american heroes network if you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with Kayla Williams, our guest. And uh, Kayla, how did Brian's injuries change his behavior? That sounds like an echo, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the first month when I was on block leave... If there were signs of changed behavior, I either didn't notice them or willfully refused to acknowledge them. At this time and and distance, I can't tell. But everything just seemed great that first month. It was this kind of homecoming honeymoon when we were both just happy to be alive and hung out and everything seemed fine. Then my block leave was over and I had to go back to work. Uh, you know, what it's like when you're in the military, if you're not fighting your training. So we were getting ready to go back to war. And Brian did not go back to work. His He had been assigned to his artillery battery, reassigned to his artillery battery, not for reasons we don't know, to a med hold company. And the warrior transition units of today did not yet exist. So the leadership in his artillery battery had no idea how to support a severely wounded warrior. He was not able to wear headgear yet because the incisions were still fresh enough on the back of his head. He couldn't wear his headgear. And you know the Army, they love people wearing their hats outside, so he couldn't wear his hat. Um, He couldn't carry a weapon because the post-traumatic stress disorder was already becoming apparent. And the leadership said, look, we're getting these new guys fresh out of training, and they show up, and you look really screwed up, and you're freaking them out before they have to go to war. You're scaring them, so just don't come in. Just don't show up anymore. They didn't even make him come in for accountability formation, which is, to me, seems totally foreign to the army that I thought I knew. Um, But he just sat at home. And when I started going back to work and he wasn't going back to work, that's when the changes started to become apparent to me. I realized that he was staying up drinking at night, not just because we were partying together, but because he was trying to drown out... Uh, the nightmares and and emotional pain that he was feeling with Jameson, which is not an effective treatment, by the way, but one that he was trying to great combination medicate right. Um, and he, what the cognitive deficits were severe enough that he wasn't able to manage his personal finances. He wasn't paying his bills and uh, was getting notices that his water and electricity were going to be shut off. Um, he the alcohol also. As we all know, alcohol um, reduces your inhibitions, but Brian's brain injury had damaged the impulse control portion of his brain, so he didn't really need any further (laughs) reduction of his impulse control abilities. So he was getting into fights in bars, losing his temper with me, going into violent outbursts, and it started to become apparent that there were very, very serious problems. He And all of them added on to all the other ones. So not being able to sleep because of the post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, what happens to you when you can't sleep? For me, my brain doesn't work as well if I haven't had enough sleep. So not sleeping because of the PTSD worsened the cognitive symptoms of the traumatic brain injury. And seeing his future stripped away from him, he had 
spent you know a decade in the army and was planning to make it a career to lose his career uh, further added to the depression and so all of these things that the brain injury the PTSD the depression each thing added on to each other uh, uh, problem the comorbidities as they're called added up to problems that were far greater than than any one of them uh, or than you would even imagine that adding them together would be they they ended up being you know kind of multi, multi they multiplied, and he started to struggle and was really falling apart. Uh. Kayla, at what point did you realize that you were not only uh, at this point were you married? No, we we were dating. Okay, and my my friends were already starting to think I was crazy for staying with him. Um, like, why would you stick with somebody who's having these problems when he would? go into these rages, especially when he was drinking, um, you know, call my best friend fat, for example. She's like, why are you staying with him? He's just a jerk. But I knew that this was related to his injury. And just as if I had watched him get injured, I wouldn't have left him there on the battlefield. Uh, you know, now that we were home, I couldn't imagine abandoning him when the military was not in those early days able to give him the care and support that he needed. So I stuck with him and tried to help him as much as I could, but I didn't know anything about brain injuries or PTSD. I didn't know how to provide that that support and was in some ways struggling with my own reintegration as well. So it was not um, it was not a smooth ride for us. He really stagnated in his recovery um, and probably slid backwards, in fact, for the 10 months that he was back at Fort Campbell before his mother and I were able to successfully harass people at Fort Campbell and at Walter Reed to get him transferred back to Walter Reed as an outpatient so he could get better care in, in the hospital setting. Thank goodness for that, because with cognitive uh, disabilities, as you know right now, every day you lose is problematic and yet you had someone who had a really strong will to carry on but it his efforts were misguided until he could get therapy so when you got to Walter Reed was there a good team that was put together that could work with him or did you have to fill the gaps with community care <laughs> so um I he got sent back to Walter Reed in December of 2004 and the distance and separation convinced us that we wanted to be together, that we belonged together and, and loved one another. So we got married in February of 2005 in a very small ceremony just so that I would have the legal access to be mm -hmm. able to help with his recovery and be able to join him when, when I got out of the Army. I left the Army a few months later and joined him in, in, at the, in Walter Reed um, we lived in an apartment, but but we go into Walter Reed with him. And at that point, they were just working on medically retiring him. And he had, I think, eight case managers. But from mm -hmm. what I could tell, they never sat down together to talk about coordinating his care effectively, whether or not any of the medications for his brain injury might actually be bad for somebody with PTSD, for example. Uh, some, of the, some of the medications that they prescribe to patients with brain injuries can, for example, cause nightmares, which is already a problem right. for somebody with PTSD. So, you know, this, this was really just uncoordinated care continued. And for me, you know, I, I was just at this point trying to hold on and, and hold my marriage together and try to help him. And I was 
sustaining myself with this faith that he would get better, right? Thinking, okay, if you break a leg, it takes time for the bone to knit back together, but it does eventually heal. So the same has to be true for this brain injury. I just have to stick by him and he is going to get better. And during the medical, um, the, the medical retirement process, all this med board and physical evaluation board, all of this, at one point, one of his case managers said, why didn't you ever go to inpatient cognitive rehab? As if he is a staff sergeant in the United States Army could, you know, research civilian facilities and write his own orders to mm. send himself to inpatient rehab. Uh, and then she said, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's too late now. Any recovery you're going to see is going to be within the first 18 months. Uh, and that untrue. Was just it was right. Untrue, which I didn't know until later, but devastating because here I've been banking on he's going to get better. And this this awful <laughs> provider said he's not going to get better and I at that point thought I don't know how we can do it it wasn't long after that that we hit genuine rock bottom with a with a violent incident and I ended up going and staying in a hotel and I didn't know if I was ever going to go home um it was it was genuinely the the lowest point of our marriage and his recovery but you know what they say once you've hit rock bottom there's only one way to go right up that's right so we, we, we hit that point, and then there was a turnaround in what may seem like a really strange way. Um, by chance, the day after we hit rock bottom, I, uh, I, went, I already had plans to go rock climbing with a friend, and I kept them. I was like, I'm not going to sit in this hotel room and, and feel sorry for myself all day. I have to go see another person. So I went rock climbing. I fell and broke my ankle and had to call Brian, have him meet me at the emergency room with my ID card, so that I could get medical care, I ended up in a, in a cast um, with orders to keep it elevated above my heart as much as possible. And so I was incapacitated, laying on the couch, and he had to take care of me. He had to bring me my coffee and, and cook me my dinner. <laughs> he became the caregiver, and I had to, by, by circumstance, I was forced to, instead of just trying to solve all of the problems, which is kind of my thing, I'll just do all of the stuff, um, I couldn't do that, and it forced me to empathize with what it felt like to not be able to do everything. Instead of just trying to solve his problems, I had to empathize with how he had to be feeling. And that turned our relationship around, and was and, and the fact that he was required to take care of, of me and, and manage our household and go grocery shopping and do everything uh, prevented him from sitting on the couch and was the beginning of his recovery. It's a very important point because a lot of times this, there, the conflict between the dependency and the independence is so difficult if it isn't understood. And it, it can be a source of great friction in relationships. And so actually what happened to you was a blessing because it allowed you to see it from both sides. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Boy. How long did it take you, uh, Kayla, to work out where he could look at you and say uh, something like code black? What would that mean? That was when we were still at Fort Campbell. And it was after the first incident where he completely lost his temper and, and told me to get out and that I would never understand. And he never wanted to see me again. Uh, and when he just showed up out of nowhere and said, uh, you know, hey, let's, let's, let's go get lunch. I said, what, what the heck happened? And he was trying to explain the worst PTSD symptoms and said, and I, I asked if he could warn me 
And he said he would try, that if he felt it coming on, he would say code black, and I would know to just give him his space for a while. All right. That's it's very valuable cool. to have a, a symbol or a code that you can mm-hmm. talk to one another. That must have been a turning point as well. It was helpful, but he didn't always know when it was coming. Like you True. don't know something is going to uh, trigger a situation. And for him, the alcohol was really enmeshed with the symptoms. So mm-hmm. if he switched from drinking beer to doing shots, I pretty much knew that there was a good chance it was going to turn ugly. But by that point, he would be too far gone to give me the, the warning. <laughs> well, we're going to take a short break. Thirsty yet? Stand by. Keep checking our website. Coming soon, I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda, Bill, and our guest, Kayla. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The American Heroes Network team depends entirely on voluntary financial support, advertisers, and sponsorships to keep the voice of our veterans alive and bring awareness, education, excitement, and most importantly, hope to the gray reality that exists for the hundreds of thousands of troops that are home and coming home. You can now become part of the elite team and help support our veterans. Your support is needed more than ever before. Become part of the Silent Heroes support team today. The Silent Heroes support team levels start as low as $26 per year. That's only 50 cents a week. Go right now to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and join today. That's AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. Thank you for your support. By providing a unique blend of information and advocacy, we are helping our American heroes and their families to heal, successfully transition into civilian life, and to thrive in their communities. This generation will not be forgotten. Today's military are our sons and daughters. Listen live to the American Heroes Network, the worldwide voice for our military families and veterans, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. All shows are archived on American Heroes network.com and syndicated on iTunes. For those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier or smarter as the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo@americanheroesnetwork.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are tuned in to American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to AmericanHeroesNetwork at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with our guest, Kayla Williams. And uh, Linda, you had a question. Yeah, Kayla, perhaps you can discuss a bit of the road to recovery for Brian, but also for you. Absolutely. So after we, we hit rock bottom and things started to turn around, Brian's uh, retirement had finally gone through just a couple of weeks before we hit rock bottom. And unfortunately, because of how disorganized everything was, 
we briefly ended up on unemployment, which added to the stress of that that moment. Um, but after that, I was a, I, my job finally came through. I'd had a job offer and was waiting for some paperwork to be finalized. So I was able to start working. Brian got a job at, at a sporting goods store just stocking shelves. And this in itself was a big step because there had been a question whether or not he'd be able to ever work again. But he did well at it, and they gave him a promotion, and he did well at that. And he started to regain that confidence that he could still be a contributing member of society, that he could work, that he had a purpose. And just as things had previously spiraled down before, where every bad thing added to every other bad thing, now that started to happen in reverse, where because he was working, he had to get up in the morning, and that forced him to go to bed at night. He started, the, the breaking point that we had reached stopped his binge drinking. He was able to start to get that in control. He was able to start to regain some self-confidence, and uh, the better sleep helped with his cognitive function, which helped alleviate some of the symptoms of depression, which discouraged him from turning to alcohol to self-medicate, which alleviated some of the symptoms of his PTSD. So things started to turn around and really move in a positive direction. At a certain point, though, it seemed like we had plateaued. We were doing pretty well, but... Uh, but, but it started to stagnate again. And at that point, by sheer chance and luck, we got involved with a veterans organization called VoteVets.org that a, a mutual friend worked at. Uh, they strive to get veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan wars elected to public office. Brian started volunteering with them, and they later hired him. And we learned from that experience how important it is to have a community of your peers being connected to other veterans was tremendously helpful. Being around people who understood, who didn't mm-hmm. look at you like you were crazy if you jumped at a loud noise because they got it. Mm-hmm. And we saw that rather than being ashamed of the negative experiences we had had, rather than just being humiliated that we had had to be on unemployment briefly, rather than just thinking there was something wrong with us personally for the problems we'd been struggling with, with PTSD and the gaps and services that existed, that we could take those negative experiences and use them to advocate to improve the system for those veterans still coming home after us. We could find meaning in our bad experiences by trying to make the things better for future veterans coming home. And that combination of service and community and success you know, came together to really push along our reintegration and our healing process. Later, Brian ended up volunteering for the local fire and rescue department. And that too forced his brain to learn new things, to reroute around injured areas. For Brian, he never went to cognitive rehab. It was work that was his rehab that, that made his brain learn to work in new ways. And uh, and also the, the fire department made him get back into better physical shape. So all of these experiences slowly, slowly pushed us on that road to recovery. Um, and to give a sense of what I mean by slowly, and remember this, this unfortunate woman had said long ago that the only gains he would see would be in the first 18 months. Mm-hmm. Well, it was six years before Brian could read a book again after the injury. Six years but he did reach a point where he could read for pleasure again. And just last month, he started going back to college. And that's um, 10 years after the injury. So 
it was a long road to recovery, but we have continued to see improvements even, you know, a decade later. For me, my own recovery and reintegration process happened on a different time scale probably because I spent so much of those first years focused on Brian that I didn't pay attention to my own needs. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until uh, several years after he'd been injured, I heard an interview on TV with Bob and Lee Woodruff that I first heard the word caregiver and realized with this like, just utter shock that that's what I was. I, it had nev I'd never really connected that term to myself. But it was that interview when I thought, oh, my God, I am a caregiver. There are other people out there like me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And 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 it's not it's not crazy that I'm having a hard time. This is a hard thing. And then I started to gradually look for supports for myself. Mm -hmm. And I came to find that, as weird as it may sound, one of the hardest things was actually accepting that Brian was doing better. I had just taken control of so many aspects of our lives that accepting and admitting that he was improving and giving him the space to take over household responsibilities again was really hard for me to let go. Uh, I had to get therapy myself to help me um, come to terms with my own negative experiences and accept our new reality and be able to manage stress in, in healthier ways. And one of the things that helped my road home quite a bit was going on a women veterans only outward bound trip and being around a community of my peers, women veterans who understood the unique challenges that, that female troops face in war zones was very helpful. And being out of the house for a week forced me to see that Brian could survive on his own. Finally, he may have only eaten sandwiches, but he ate. And he, you know, the house didn't burn down. So I was gradually able to start to let go of some of the really intense control that I had taken of our, our lives and really let our relationship become more equal and normalized. And that, too, took a long time. But today, you know, we have a really solid marriage and two great little kids, and things are going very, very well. Not perfect. You know, we, we still have our challenges. But overall, things are in a really good place today. Wow. Kayla, you mentioned, uh, I listened to one of your uh, interviews online, and you mentioned uh, about the symptoms of PTSD are adaptive in a combat zone. Could you give us a little insight on that? Yeah, so when, when I was downrange, and I think this is true for, for most people, when you're in a combat zone, being alert to any possible danger, almost hyper alert, to any possible danger and being ready to respond with immediate violence to any perceived threat keeps you alive. Mm -hmm. That's what's known as an adaptive response. This is a healthy survival mechanism. You want troops to be that way. But right. when you come home and you remain hypervigilant to possible threat and you remain willing to respond with violence to a perceived threat, that's no longer adaptive. When you're driving on the Beltway in the D.C. area and a car is <laughs> too often traffic and you want to shoot them, that is a maladaptive response. Um, so for most vets who come home, like me, those, the symptoms that we associate with post-traumatic stress, um, being hypervigilant, maybe having trouble sleeping, 
uh, having angry outbursts, being feel you know uh, violent tendencies, those fade within three to six months, and that's just normal. It just takes time to dial your brain back to a, a normal um, threat perception and response level, and and that's okay as long as it's starting to happen. And for me, it was just helpful to talk to other people and realize they felt the same way and that I wasn't crazy. The problem comes if things don't kind of dial back to a more normal setting and those symptoms persist and negatively affect your life. That's when things can be really problematic. Well, you pretty much just described the difference between PTS and PTSD. If it's PTSD, your life is truly affected and it's very difficult to make your life normal and that there's all this discussion over PTS and PTSD, but if right. your life is truly dysfunctional because of it, right. it is very important that you get help. Do you? What did you find was the most helpful in dealing with your PTSD? Was it peers? Was it the VA? Was it therapy? Well, for me, I, I when I got home, what the army, the terminology the army was using back then was that those symptoms that fade within three to six months, the PTS symptoms, if they fade within three to six months, they were calling it acute stress reaction back then. I don't know if they've changed the terminology, but I've, I've never been diagnosed with PTSD, and and I try really hard to make that clear. I've mm-hmm. had plenty of symptoms of post traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Um, most of which faded quickly, and that's a very normal thing, and some of which I still have and may never fade. I still hate driving over trash in the road. It makes me very tense, uh, makes my heart beat faster, makes me grip the steering wheel, and, and makes me breathe heavier. It makes me feel very panicky. I still hate it to this day, but it doesn't keep me from driving. It mm-hmm. doesn't negatively impact my life, and it's a very manageable symptom that may never go away, but it's one that doesn't hurt my life. My husband, on the other hand, developed full-blown PTSD, which I understand you know, some people want to change it to, to mm-hmm. PTSI um, to stress the injury. That there's a precipitating factor, but right. yeah, his symptoms have been much more severe and less manageable and have negatively impacted his life. For example, he was injured on a bus for a while. His commute to and from his job involved a bus, and he, at some points, just could not get on the bus. He had to find other ways to commute because he could not bring himself to get on the bus. So that was negatively affecting his life and needed more intense management. Um, And there have been a lot of things that have helped him, including medication, including therapy, and including, believe it or not, at the VA, um, recreational therapy. Mm-hmm. When he first told me about this, I honestly kind of thought it was BS. I'm like, really? You're, you're telling me that you're going to leave me home alone with two small kids while you go golf and <laughs> on Sunday mornings for four hours? And this is, this is therapy? Are you joking? But it helped. Mm-hmm. The, some of the, the, the te- techniques that pro golfers use to keep from choking under pressure during competitions, he was able to apply to pending anxiety attacks and they were useful techniques for him. And I thought, okay, maybe the VA is not, not, not ridiculous. They do know what they're talking about here. So, you know, for us, bonding with our peers and seeking professional assistance and recreational therapy, all kinds of different things have helped at different stages. And the most important message I would want to communicate to people is keep trying. If you tried one thing and it didn't work, don't give up. Try another method. Excellent advice. 
All right. Well, we're going to take that short break right now. But before we do, I want to remind everyone that American Heroes Network is not just a radio program. In order to stay updated, go to the AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. We also are available on any mobile device. I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda and Bill and our guest, uh, Kayla. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America and the Variety Channel. And we'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. For those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier. Or smarter, as the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo at AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. The American Heroes Network team depends entirely on voluntary financial support, advertisers, and sponsorships to keep the voice of our veterans alive and bring awareness, education, excitement, and most importantly, hope to the gray reality that exists for the hundreds of thousands of troops that are home and coming home. You can now become part of the elite team and help support our veterans. Your support is needed more than ever before. Become part of the Silent Heroes support team today. The Silent Heroes support team levels start as low as $26 per year. That's only 50 cents a week. Go right now to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and join today. That's AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. Thank you for your support. By providing a unique blend of information and advocacy, we are helping our American heroes and their families to heal, successfully transition into civilian life, and to thrive in their communities. This generation will not be forgotten. Today's military are our sons and daughters. Listen live to the American Heroes Network, the worldwide voice for our military families and veterans, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. All shows are archived on American Heroes network.com and syndicated on iTunes. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. We're here with our guest, Kayla Williams. And Linda, you had a question? Yes, I think we go back when you were told that there would be only a limited amount of progress. And clearly, over six years, you saw progress, and now you're at the 10-year mark. It's pretty clear that as long as one seeks help in whatever manner works for you, I believe your words were, the recovery doesn't stop. It just pauses from time to time. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, at one point, um, Brian was talking about, uh, Brian and I were having a, you know, an argument about how I thought, I said, you know, shouldn't you have 
shouldn't some of these changes have already happened with you? You know, we're arguing about like cleaning the house, something ridiculous that how many married couples argue about. And he said, you know, sometimes I feel like the brain injury like stopped my, my progress as I became an adult. And it, it hadn't stopped. It just kind of paused things. And for both of us, there have been periodic uh, times when, you know, we feel like we've hit a plateau where we've stagnated, but continuing to seek out um, additional care when needed has helped kick us to the next level. And the most important message that I would communicate to veterans, wounded warriors, military families, caregivers, is that you should seek help if you need it. Um, The Veterans Crisis Line is 1-800-273-TALK, Veterans Press 1, and it's there for 24-hour assistance at any moment in time. but people, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of vets who say, oh, yeah, I went to a couple of appointments and it didn't work out. So I've never gone back. I've never sought care again, you know, therapy again. I'm like, you know, look, if you bought spearmint toothpaste and you hated the flavor, would you quit brushing your teeth forever? No, <sighs> just try a new flavor. And the same is true about therapy. If you've gone to a psychiatrist and didn't like it because you don't like medication, try a psychologist. If you've tried a psychologist at Big VA and didn't like it, try a vet center. If mental health care that's formal doesn't make you comfortable, try volunteering. Um, try, Try golf. Try serving with a community of your peers. Try an outward bound trip. It doesn't matter what you try so much as that you don't stop trying. Try yoga. Try meditation. Seek help coping with the stressors and problems that you're facing because there are a lot of evidence-based treatments. There are a lot of treatments that are still being studied like service dogs, but that have some promising early results anecdotally that they're very helpful for those using them. So I would urge people to, uh, to not give up if they're struggling, to look for a way forward because the new normal can be a rewarding and fulfilling life that in some ways can be better than the life you knew before. Um, Brian calls the day that he was injured his his phoenix day, uh, not a live day. And I love that imagery of the phoenix rising Mm -hmm. from its own ashes. Uh, For both of us, yes, there's been post-traumatic stress, but there's also been post-traumatic growth. You know, the experience of war trauma, of of the, the really awful things that we went through, have also made us appreciative of how lucky we are to live in America today with electricity and indoor plumbing and and, and good health care and have made us very aware of our responsibility to our community, the need to give back to the country that has helped us come home from war. And that that sense of connection, of community, of service has been a really important part of our recovery and a result in some ways of the trauma that we experienced. And I I want people to know that that flip side, the post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic growth does exist and to be open to uh, the new experiences that can come after trauma. Well, Kelly, I think one of the things that helps people is to hear the very direct statements that you make that it's okay to reach out for help. In fact, it's recommended. If you do run a program and it doesn't work, go find another one. 
think you also bring up, however, that you must persist in your own care, that there's two sides. You have a care team, but that's often a bureaucracy. So there is some personal responsibility. Continue to try, and it helps when you have a peer or a, or a group of peers that encourage that working. In one point, you talked about tilted windmills in terms of bureaucracy sometimes. I call it emptying the ocean with a teaspoon. But <laughs> one step at a time, those incremental steps do add up to change. And I think people are more willing these days because they don't have the answers. But if you ask questions, seek help, they can sometimes guide you in a new direction, which works for you. Because there isn't a one-size-fits-all, either PTSD or TBI. Absolutely. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And there are a lot of organizations out there that can help. Um, the National Resources Directory, NRD.gov, uh, has a vetted collection of resources that can help troops, vets, family members. And there are organizations like the Mission Continues or Team Rubicon that allow veterans to use the skills, experience, and expertise that they gained in the military to serve their communities in new ways. And there are great organizations like Blue Star Families for military family members. And they have new programs uh, just getting started to provide support for caregivers, military family members who have become caregivers. And finding that community of your peers is tremendously important. Uh, it's, it's good to learn and to find out that other caregivers feel stressed, that none of us are saints, that it's okay to be angry at the situation you found yourself in because it's a frustrating one. The important thing isn't whether or not you occasionally feel anger. The important thing is how you cope with the stresses you're under and finding you know, a constructive way to move forward. And that is something that we can all do in a variety, as you say, a variety of ways. It isn't going to be the same for everyone, but the important thing is to continue seeking help and continue seeking growth until you find a new normal where you are um, feeling fulfilled. Kayla, did this help you heal? Writing the book? Yes. Yes. Good. Wow. Because it comes through that way. And, you know, thank you so much for sharing these experiences because it is direct and it covers so many different roles and responsibilities that our troops have from deployment to reintegration to family to children. And I love the Phoenix Day. Great right. visual. Well, we only have a minute or two left, and Kayla, you did a great job in helping us see the connections and that there is hope for our misunderstood invisible injuries. Thank you. What would you like to share with our listeners, Kayla, in closing? Um, luckily, in you know an hour-long program, I, I, <laughs> you have the luxury of getting to share <laughs> so, so many things, and I think we've closed on this high note of, of seek help. I think the most important other message that I would want to give out is that uh, veterans are not broken and that even those who have sustained very serious wounds can can find recovery in unexpected ways and continued contributing to their communities to society in new ways uh, we're not all unemployed homeless suicidal homicidal you know we we came from american communities now we're returning to them and we can serve them in new ways with our experiences skills and expertise that we got in the military and I hope that our communities are there to welcome us home with a hand up, not a hand out, because we, uh, we are excited to, to serve in new ways. All right. Bill? So 
Thank you very much for sharing. Well, thank you for having me. Linda? Well, I'm a big fan of the book, and I highly recommend reading it. So many reasons, but for the most part, understanding what veterans and their families go through directly from the veteran themselves is, right. is very instructive. All right. Well, today's show has been brought to you by First Class Merchant Services and Brave Marketing Concepts. If you missed any of our live shows, all our shows are archived on demand 24-7 on AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. And remember, the American Heroes Network spotlights and promotes the best available information of interest to our American veterans and their families anytime, anywhere, and on any device. I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda and Bill, signing off. And thanks for listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel. Have a terrific week. Say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you again for joining us for this week's edition of American Heroes Network. Please join Gary Ray and his co-host, Linda Crater, again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week. We are America, and we truly do believe you're the backbone of our nation Thanks to you we're living free We're a quilt of many colors And we breed red, white, and blue We're America, your country And America wants you America wants you Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.